Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. How are you all today? I hope that everybody is doing fine and also that you are finding a little bit of joy, peace and serenity amongst all of this craziness that's going on in the world that I have to say. But there is always that peaceful sanctuary that we can return to within ourselves at any given time. Here in the United Kingdom, you know that I love to talk about the weather. It has been raining, I think, forever. But no, really, I'm exaggerating a little bit. It's been raining now for several weeks. And The plants do definitely need it. They need that nourishment and the water, as we all need that good energy. It's something that is so important, is good energy in our life. And it's not something that possibly we remember on a daily basis, but it's something that we do need to be reminded of because we are energetic beings as well as being human beings we all operate and vibrate on a certain level so i was talking to somebody the other day actually and we spoke about this and they said to me do you know what mimi stay away from situations and people that don't resonate that make you feel uncomfortable And that's one of really the best pieces of advice that I can give also is if it doesn't feel right, if you're not sure, then stay away and find that inner peace and be with those that actually give you that peace and make you feel joyful and comfortable. Because at the end of the day, life is really far too short to spend it in situations and with people that don't bring us that beautiful serenity and love in our life. Now, I am absolutely delighted to welcome back today's guest, who has been so popular with you all that I'm going to try and persuade him to do a podcast himself, and that is the brilliant Mir Abbas Ali. Mir is an acupuncturist, a martial arts master, and a Chinese medicine expert. After he graduated as an acupuncturist and in the Shaolin arts, he started to train in the Taoist arts of Qigong, Neigong, Bagua, Tuina, amongst many other arts and practices. Mir's expertise is with Chinese medicine and also with meditation, 
as well as the internal arts and spiritual matters. He is an expert in martial arts such as Eskrima, Penchak Silat and Sistema, as well as the modern self-defence systems. He has represented Great Britain and has been filmed for many documentaries and news programmes across the world. Mir has travelled across the globe to train with masters in places such as China, America, Malaysia, Europe and New Zealand. He is the seventh Dan grade, which was presented to him by the International Southern Shaolin Five Ancestors Association in China. Mir has received many years of transmissions and training in the Taoist lineage of the energy arts, as well as regularly training with legendary Russian masters. He has traveled far and wide, and one such place that he has been to is New Zealand, where he learned from the true Maori warriors and healers who were generous to pass on their teachings to him from their family and lineages to help benefit people worldwide. And that is something that is a really privileged position to be in because it's not shared. Such things are not shared with everybody. So that's important to know. Today, he shares more about his art and his absolutely wonderful wisdom that is helping people all over the world. Welcome back, Mir. Thank you, Mimi. Thank you for having oh. me again. Oh, you're very welcome. You're very popular, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Will you ever do a podcast on your own? <laughs> oh, I'm not too sure. I don't know. I'm, I'm not too sure. I think uh, luckily you're willing to listen to me, but I'm not sure how many other people are. Maybe well, so many people podcasts, are listening but, uh, and want you back all the time and oh, keep well. asking questions. So, you know, Why maybe not? never say never. Say. <laughs> I'll never say never. <laughs> well, I'll do it with you. That's that's about it. I think, uh, yeah, that's it for now. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's exactly like myself where I said for so long, firstly, I didn't even know what a podcast was. And then I said, no, there's definitely no way I'm doing that. Absolutely <laughs> no way. You know, oh, no, 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 no. And then all of a sudden, one day I woke up and I had this inspiration in my heart and I thought, I'm going to do a podcast. I just, I couldn't even believe it myself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got to be open. We've got to be yes, open. <laughs> yes, yeah, always be open. You're right. Yeah. I'll, oh, I'll be open how are anything. you? Tell me, how are you? How yeah. are things in your part yes. of the world? Very good, very good. Like yourself, kind of um, hoping for some sunshine uh, that lasts more than <laughs> half a day. Yeah. Uh, but it's been very wet and uh, windy here. Um, obviously, but yeah, no, but been been really well and, and kind of uh, enjoying things as usual, kind of trying to enjoy the weather, uh, even though it's rain, and just be grateful for the water that's coming down and watering the garden. Yeah, so it's, just, it's uh, true it's, because it's then we don't out. have to water the garden, do we? Yeah, yeah that's, that's fine. That's, that's one job I don't have to do, but now I have to... I have to do other jobs, but just read the garden because the the weeds, of course, have uh, yes. grown very well and happy too. So it's just <laughs> it's yeah, cool yeah. But then it makes it easier for me to to dig the garden to put new plants in. So it's just you know it's it's uh, it's full of good things. It is, and it's the balance of life, isn't it? But before yeah. we go into that, which is interesting because that is the key, I think, to life is finding this delicate balance. Mm, you know, yes. like the spirit level. It's so 
delicately fine. And yes. um, we're all sort of struggling in our own way to find that. And yes. I think it's important, which you're going to talk about today, I know, um, ways to do that. But tell us a little bit, just so that the listeners can be reminded and for new listeners as well, what it is that you do. Okay, so essentially, I guess my uh, my full-time living is of uh, an acupuncturist or, or someone who practices Chinese medicine. So there's... Uh, even though I'm a qualified herbalist, I tend to kind of use that less because I focus my my specialty seems to be much more using my hands and uh, and acupuncture needles uh, to to help people uh, in clinic. So I work uh, in the clinic using Chinese medicine to help uh, as many people as I can. Uh, I also teach the the arts you mentioned uh, during the introduction. I, I try and focus much more on the health practices now. Um, of of the martial arts and of qigong and neigong and, and meditation, uh, less so on teaching people how to fight. I will teach an awful lot of people self defence, and those are much shorter kind of day courses or week long courses, or they're they're much much more important. And I, I tend to focus on the self defence aspects for for women and children, and more increasingly men. Uh, I avoided men for a long time. Um, whereas the uh, kind of teaching of the arts, for some reason, has has declined because the the modern modern life basically has less time to learn the old arts, uh, which is it's a shame, but it's the way things go. Uh, so so yeah, my my time is split mainly between um, medicine and what one of my teachers calls uh, reverse medicine or martial arts. So it's just uh, we've got both sides of the coin because one of the things I realised really quickly, or not not too quickly, but basically uh, about 10 years into my training uh, in the Shaolin arts was that if if I'm going to learn how to break people, I should learn how to fix people too. Um, That's interesting, so yes. It, it, was, it was an important thing. I think there was, there was a turning point when I was... Um, I came from a really old-school... Um, training where we basically there was lots of sparring no gloves no no uh, gum shield no really safety measures yeah what we had is um you would train for four or five hours and then at the end we would fight and then basically what happened is on one side of the hall um all the all the senior uh, people stood up who were all old school fighters you know they were they were amazing fighters and trained fighters as well uh, so they're good street fighters and good trained fighters so there might be six seven eight nine of them uh, stood up on one side of the hall and then uh, anyone who wasn't senior, basically beginners uh, or anyone who'd been practicing less than 10 years were, were up against, uh, sat down and then um, then you'd have to line up in front of one of the, you'd stand up and line up in front of, the, front of those seniors and you would fight uh, and then basically you'd get knocked down, you'd get hit, whatever. So we would line up, um, bow and then move to the left, and the person at the top left would move to the bottom of the queue, and then we'd have to fight the, the next person. Um, and that basically went on until we fought all of those 10 seniors. Um, and then you would sit down after basically being beaten up by five, <laughs> 10 people, uh, very experienced people, and then the next group of people would stand up. And if there weren't enough people, you would choose to stand up or not uh, and fight again, and then you'd go through the whole process again. And of course, did that for years and years. And what martial but, arts was that? Oh, that was, the, that was the Nan Shaolin Wuzu Chuen. That was the, uh, the Southern Shaolin Kung Fu. Uh-huh, okay. So, 
so yeah, that that was basically it. And you know, it was hard training, it was hard, hard everything. Um, but unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, people don't want to do that kind of training anymore because there's, you know, we would start the class with one hour of warm up, uh, and then you'd have to do kind of skills training, and then there'd be partner training where you're conditioning your arms and your legs and learning how to kick and punch, and then there's a whole fighting at the end. Uh, then there'd be weapons as well. Excuse me, there'd be weapons fighting and training, uh, mm-hmm. and then maybe if there was time or an inclination we would stay an extra hour or two um, and then basically continue um, more weapons training or internal skills training, uh, whether it was Qigong or more meditation. So um, there, there were good times, but very, very difficult training, uh, which people aren't really into anymore, don't want to do. Um, so, do you think that's just in the West here? Or do you yes, think... Yes, yeah, I think, I think it's the West. I mm. think there are, small people, there are small groups of people who do want to do that. And so you will get very small, dedicated groups who will. Um, but but times have changed. Um, people want different things from martial arts. Um, so um, before, let's say in the in the seventies and eighties, the days of people like uh, Bruce Lee, etc., uh, kind of kung fu um, Chinese martial arts were at the very much at the pinnacle of things. And and karate. Mm. Um, and of course, uh, judo was brilliant too. So you, you had these top three kind of martial arts uh, that people saw as the answer to everything for self-defense, mm-hmm. spirituality, uh, and that kind of thing. But now times have changed, and and if people want spirituality, there are much more uh, things available to them. So they might want to do some yoga, or they might want to do some some Buddhist chanting, or so they've they've got that for spirituality and if they want to do something that might strengthen the body they might go to the gym or uh, do something like crossfit or some type of weight training and if they want to learn how to fight then they might do something like mixed martial arts you know cage fighting type training mm-hmm. um, or they might want to do let's say a, a short course in uh, something like self-defense the kind of things i teach like um streets defense you might want to learn that in three hours or two hours on a sunday as a one-off or maybe as a few sessions uh, so, i mean that has its place doesn't it it has, it has its place so that it leaves... has its place but it's not yes. really the real mccoy is it no, i mean no. going to the gym has its merits and yes. it's good to be in have this exercise but what i find a lot of people say to me Mir, that go to the gym it becomes a little bit of an obsession and it's a bit like eating, I suppose, food that's not um, nutritious. So it tastes good, but you're hungry after an hour type of thing. Yes, yes. But there's not that real spiritual deep connection. And I think that's why then people get so obsessed with it, because the more you do it, the more you want it, but the less you're satisfied. That's right. Like life, yes. isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And people are looking for things and not being nourished, just like you said. Um, and I tell people one of the things when it comes to to food um, is that your your body's looking for calories and it's looking for nutrition. Uh, it, it needs the vitamins and minerals, but it needs mm. the amount of calories because we burn off a certain amount of calories on, on a day, just mm. whether you're just sitting or whether you're you're working and doing things. And I tell people if they're going to go, uh, let's say, a a typical kind of British meal would be, let's say, uh, some fish and chips. Mm -hmm. So you can go and get some fish and chips, 
tastes great and maybe that's two or three thousand calories there and then so you eat that and your body is really kind of uh, the hunger's gone uh, for a little bit because it's received two thousand calories yeah. but an hour later you're hungry again and the reason being is because the body didn't receive the nutrition it didn't receive the vitamins the minerals and the things it actually requires so you go and eat again. And if you're clever, you'll have some fruit or some vegetables, and then your body gets the vitamins and minerals it's, it's looking for. Um, so eating the calories isn't enough. Whereas if you go, let's say you have a vegetarian meal, or mm-hmm. you, know, some, you go to those very expensive restaurants where they give you really good quality food, but very small, um, you can be very full very quickly, especially if you have, you have a really good quality vegan or, or vegetarian food. Mm. And you're you're full, and you you receive the calories, and you've received the nutrition. So you're fuller for longer. Your body has received all that it needs. Very true. It's, you know. So mm. it's, so yeah. I think in the modern day, what's happening is people are kind of they're searching, but what we're filling up in on is calories, uh, not necessarily the the nutritive kind of substances that we require and that we're craving for. Uh, so people go out and look for something again and then they fill up on the fish and chips again you know i mean you let's know, not we have to yeah. say we're not knocking fish and chips no, 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 because I'll there's a time it. and a yeah. place by the seaside absolutely <laughs> yeah there's no problem I, I eat fish and chips and i think I had some about a month ago myself so about once or twice i haven't a year. had any for ages yeah. i have to say i think since last year and i keep thinking <laughs> i've got to have it but i'm very particular and i think oh, I've got to try it. I've got to go and find somewhere. And then yes. in the end, I'm like, oh, no, I can't I know. It's, now. Yeah. It's, maybe it's laziness. I don't know. But, you know, there's something about it that's sort of comforting. I think the idea is better than yes, the I agree. experience, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I always eat it and then about two minutes later regret it and think, oh, Yes. I'm full, but I don't feel particularly good. And I wish I just had, you know, I should have gone to the shops and just bought something to cook at home instead. But um, so, yeah, it's just the truth. Um, And that's an interesting thing because food, I want to ask you about this actually. Um, People's relationship with food, and especially now, everywhere you look, Mia, whether it be on social media or wherever, people are obsessed with food. Yes, yeah. What is going on there? Because people are so hungry for something and they make these, I have a friend and she makes beautiful cakes, but she doesn't eat them. Mm. And I say to her, I don't understand. Why don't you eat the cakes? And she said, oh no, I can't eat the cakes. I said, what's the point then? She said, oh, I'll give it to friends and family. I said, well, why not? She said, I'm really scared of getting fat. Yes. And this is one line that really irritates me because mm. I think life, as I said, is such a small fragment in time that this whole food relationship, it, it's really skew with at the moment. What yes. is that? Yes. Our relationship to food is very complex. I mean, it can be very simple. Uh, for mm. some people, because certain personality types and certain types of people just see it as fuel. They almost dislike eating food. They don't have, let's say, issues with food. They just, they're not particularly excited by it. So they'll eat what, whatever's given to them. Uh, they see it as fuel and then that's it. And some uh, more often than not, they probably don't enough eat enough cal- calories throughout the day and 
and then they exist and then they're much more concerned about other things in life and just you know having lunch or stopping for dinner is a bit of an interruption on their day uh, mm-hmm. but they don't have a let's say a, a pathological issue with food often um, food issues often start for all kinds of reasons but start when we're young um, I was listening to something on the radio that I, I tell people all the time it was, it was perhaps about a year ago now mm. and there was a psychologist talking about how uh, food issues start with a lot of people and it may be that you know you you ask your child to um, eat something green because we all know vegetables you know good vegetables are good so you like sweetie have your broccoli please and then um, and then for some reason she says no and then so and then you kind of get upset it, it all escalates and before you know it, you're saying listen if you don't eat your broccoli you're not going to go outside and play with your friends or you're not going to have an ice cream or you tell them off mm. so they they force this kind of broccoli down and they build this ne- negative association to it immediately so and what they can go from is in 10 minutes the psychologist said that in 10 minutes what they can do is convince themselves that oh um I don't like broccoli to, oh, I don't like greens to mummy and daddy were upset with me. Mummy don't love me. Uh, I don't love greens. I, uh, I can't eat anything green. I'm allergic to green food. Boom. Now they've got um, um, a health issue related to eating vegetables that they carry on for the rest of their lives. And the psychologist says that happens so quick with so many people. Uh, that that's one of the things that she sees all the time. And then she approaches people and says, you know, so were you actually tested to see if you were allergic to uh, mm. the green vegetables? And they say no. And then they go through medical tests and they find that actually they're not. And then they backtrack where this has all come from. And it's usually some type of negative association that we've made in our in our younger lives. Um, so, you know, if we kind of say we don't like things, it often comes from there. Some people don't like textures. Mm. Um, often, and again, related to the example I gave you, it's often about control. That's the big issue yeah. uh, for an awful lot of people because it's something that we have every single day, that we have a mm. small or perhaps a large amount of control over in our day-to-day existence. You can decide, actually, I'm not going to eat breakfast today or I'm going to skip lunch or mm. actually, I'm not going to have that for lunch. I'm going to have this instead and oh, I had a big lunch, I'm not going to have a dinner. So we may, we're making these conscious decisions on um, on what we eat on a daily basis, very regularly, and it's one of the places us as human beings can exert uh, conscious control. Uh, and in a life where often people don't have control over their environment, their surroundings, their well-being, um, the people around them, it's the one thing that they find that they can control. Yes. Uh, so for a lot of people that's it there are of course other issues but it's it's quite complex that is and that's you know that's why people should really uh, speak to professionals in that area but you know whether it's for religious reasons which you know for just recently Ramadan's just finished so you know Muslims have been fasting for a month um, and they you know they consciously decide uh, not to eat during sunlight hours Mm. Um, uh, Christians a little while ago uh, had 40 days of Lent and so they would decide not to eat fish or not to eat chocolate um, and you know if you know anyone who's uh, from India or is of uh, Hindu uh, descent they uh, don't eat meat on uh, they usually choose a day 
uh, one day a week when they won't eat any meat at all. Uh, and some people just fast and pray all day as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an, an area we often have control over, whether we decide to eat something, not eat something, put salt in it, not salt in it, add chili, have vegetables, not... Yeah. And it, um, yeah, so it's often tied in with control and with things from our past that may or may not be relevant to the actual food itself. So, um, and it's a deep subject, isn't it? It yeah. is, it, it is. is and it, yeah. it's, a, it's a huge subject and really requires lots of aspects of kind of further inquiry and, and specialists um, with deep knowledge of, of it to, to be able to talk it through properly. But that's often what I see uh, myself in clinic as people mm. uh, may or may not have uh, issues going on in their lives, um, but one place that they can control is food and they often do and it often shows up as perhaps a mild i don't know if you can get mild dis- eating disorders but perhaps not quite severe anorexia but mm. where they will decide i oh, actually know i'm only having this amount of calories or i don't eat that or they'll only eat sometimes you see people they'll order a plate full of food but will eat less than half of it all the time and at home same thing i see that well. a lot i've seen yeah. that a lot and where yeah they will push it around the plate as if they're eating it. But when you actually look at it, they haven't eaten it. And one of the things, you know, one of the things about it all, which I find fascinating is that if you really want to know someone, they say you need, there's an old saying that my grandfather used to say, eat a bag of salt with them. And it's absolutely true or share a meal with them because you can tell a lot about people when you eat with them, whether they share their bread or, you know, yes, how they interact yeah, with you. Yeah, it, yeah, I think it right. shows you really the characteristics of who that person is. Yeah, absolutely. And there's such, that's really old thinking. I think an awful lot of people take it for granted. Um, but it's, it's a very, very good way of kind of mm. assessing people, isn't it? We, we, people use it in the modern day, don't they, when they have business meetings and will invite people out to dinner, whether it's to try and coerce them into into business or to get them to know better. Mm-hmm. Or, or if you're, I don't know, if you're, your son or daughter have brought home a new boyfriend or girlfriend, and you say, oh, let's go out to eat. And of mm. course, you know, the, the child doesn't know, but the child just thinks, oh, my mum and daddy are just taking me out for, us for something to eat, wherever you go, you know, McDonald's or a really nice restaurant. Uh, but really what you're doing is kind of <laughs> assessing the new partner <laughs> to say, oh, actually they've got good manners. Oh, they, they clean their shoes on the way. Uh, ooh, Absolutely. Quite, they, you know, they pull the chair in for my daughter. And, you know, there's all these things that are going mm. on. And, oh, they even, you know, offer to pay, but no, no, I must pay. And then, you know, they'll they let her in through the door first. They said, excuse me, I need to go to the toilet. And you know, all these things, it's all a, it's all a big assessment. It's very, it's very revealing. And lots of cultures have lots of, um, well, every culture has their own kind of ceremony, don't they, around food and how things should and shouldn't be done. And tea drinking, for example. Oh, you know, yes. That's such an important thing. Even here in England, yes. you know, yeah. everything, the world's problems can be resolved with a cup of tea. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, tea is a fascinating subject. I love tea. I wish I was an expert enough to talk about it, but it's just, um, that's a huge Do you, do you blend yeah. teas? I'm a bit of a tea blender, I have to say. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a fine art to it, isn't there? There is, there is. I, I like my Chinese teas. My mind, uh, Chinese teacher got me into uh, oolong tea. So, 
prior to that, I, I did like Chinese tea and I would often drink kind of normal green teas and um, pua teas. Oolong is nice. It's very light, I find. Yeah, yeah. You can get really light ones and you get really nice, darkly roasted, heavy ones as well. Oh, can um, you? I've tried yeah, only yeah. the very light one where it's a very light sort of ambery mm. cut. Um, yes, color. yes. Oh, yeah. Mm. You know, you can get a huge range. and. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Oolong is a huge subject because uh, the, the grade of the oolong tea, it depends on the height of the, the tea bush. You know, mm. every 100 metres you go up the mountain, it has a different quality. And of course, the time of year, oh. it has a different quality. And then how long you roast it for and oxidise it for gives oh. it a different quality. So you've got these huge amounts of variables. And if you deeply roast it, you get less caffeine in it, but you get mm. a deep roasted taste. And each region is, is you know, really supposed to get it from one or two regions, but it's uh, it tastes different, uh, each one. So, yeah, this, it's fascinating. And how you prepare it, how how you drink it. Basically, uh, there are three big variables that people I tell people uh, when they want to drink kind of good quality Chinese teas anyway. Mm. One is the temperature of the water is really important. The, the quality of the water is really, really important. You know, is it spring water? Is it mineral water, tap water? Uh, and the vessel that you drink it in as well. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, because, of course, you can get taste from the cup. Um, and, how long, and, of course, how long you brew it for. Um, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute. And each, each brew uh, with an oolong tea or pu'er tea tastes slightly different as well. So you're supposed to leave the water in it uh, for uh, an extra five or 10 seconds every time. Um, so this is interesting. I'm going to look. I'm going to look at that now. With yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's a lovely thing. Is is uh, is is Chinese tea and and you know um, tea ceremonies in, in China kind of are amazing. Japan has tea ceremonies which go on for hours. Um, yes, I've, I've read yeah, about that. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're wonderful. And again, you know, there are there are protocols with all of things, and especially mm. with I think China's. The Chinese still have protocols and things still mean things, but they they are way more relaxed about things than the Japanese. Whereas with Japanese cultures, everything means something. You know, the way your shoes face, don't face, where you place them, how you place them. Uh, Everything means something in Japanese culture. Um, And Chinese culture had that, but definitely doesn't have that to the extent that the Japanese still continue with. Uh, So, yeah, yeah, tea, tea ceremonies are... Yeah, very important. And whether it's uh, you're going through a, a, a three-hour Japanese tea ceremony or making a cup of tea with, uh, you know, for someone uh, who's sat in your kitchen, it's it's all very important and the ceremonial. It is, and it's beautiful. And like, it's a shame that you know some of these things are lost because mm. a great shame because there's so much beauty in it. I know I spend a lot of time in the Middle East and in Turkey. And I remember that one of the best things was to be greeted by tea in a glass, you know, mm. with either mint in it or black tea. Yeah. You know, it was, and I could, I don't even drink sweet tea, me. I, me, I drink um, very strong tea when it comes to black tea, but I could even drink sweet tea there because as you said, it's the way it's presented, it, in what it actually um, is in who's serving yes. it even oh, yes. you know it it but it creates a beautiful atmosphere for that moment doesn't it yes yes absolutely it's just it's very important and and I think what that speaks to is is how we as human beings obviously enjoy ceremony 
uh, I'm fascinated by it, but how social we are as you know, mm. we're, we're quite social beings and, you know, to share something that's quite, uh, you know, quite special with other people uh, mm. is, is, is important, you know, and it shows that, that we like being with other people by and large. We like sharing our space with other people. We like sharing what we have with other people. Um, and it's how you show your your love, generosity, and kindness to people. Mm. Uh, mm. To welcome something, someone in, especially in this uh, kind of Islamic countries, is is important. They always to, um, treated travelers really well. You know, yes. people who travel, you welcome them into the house, you feed them, you 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 house them, you uh, you know, you water them. It's just you give them tea, you make them welcome, and then they they go on. Um, so it's it's a part of people's cultures all over the world. Um, you know, so it's just um, it's always a welcoming thing, and I think um, to be able to share something as as comforting, as comforting and as simple as a cup of tea, can show absolute kindness and generosity. To oh people, yes, uh, yes, who, absolutely. Who, made, who, yeah, who just need kindness and generosity in their life, and then a cup of tea can do can do that. You know? Absolutely, and you know, <laughs> I was saying to a friend of mine the other day, I said. The one of the most, what's the most beautiful things we were talking about? And she said to me, oh, well, I think it's for someone to make you a meal or to buy you something. I said, do you know what I think? It's someone to make you a cup of tea mm. because it's that respect. I think the underlying factor in all of this is this respect that we have lost as mankind, I think, and you were talking about how in the Islamic countries um, and even, you know, in the Far East and everything, that when a guest comes, it's treated, you know, so well. Because mm. a lot of the beliefs that you've probably heard of, Mir, is that a guest is sent from God. You never know who they are. Yes. Yeah. You don't know in any case who anyone is. And no. that's the important thing, I think, that most people have forgotten. And we need to try to remember that everyone we meet is in fact a mirror and is helping us in some way but that respect seems to be diminishing very quickly yes yes it's a shame i think i think you're right the message is that you know sometimes the people that appear in front of you are there for a reason often uh, and they may be a reflection of what you need in yourself mm -hmm. at that time of your life or perhaps during that moment of that day uh, and they will reflect an issue that you need to look into further or they will bring an answer that you need to hear um, or, or take you along a, a little bit of a, a journey that you need to go on for that time perhaps when you're we're drinking that cup of tea. So, you know, the, the people that come into our lives and the, the time that they come into is, is important. Um, and I think as to, to the respect, you're, you're right. I think what's happened is there, there are so many of us on this planet and we're all so busy um, and trying to earn a living and do things that have made us kind of not think about the tribe or the or the country as a whole, but we've been taught to think of ourselves as individuals, that you you basically lose the connection to others and you, you show a lack of respect for not not only yourself, but to to often our friends, our family, to the people around us and our communities. Um, which is why I think, you know, slowing down, taking time to drink a cup of tea, taking time to see your friends, your family, uh, and be respectful to to the people on the other side of the road when you say good morning. Um, that 
that's really important. You know, I think um, if, even if um, even if we all have these super busy lives where we're working sixteen hour day, hour days, and what we do is important or very stressful, we all have time during that is just to breathe in through the nose, breathe out through the mouth, release some of that tension, and you know maybe give someone a smile, maybe give someone a nod. And say yes. hello. You know, when I was walking my daughter to school this morning, you know, we were walking to school and there was a man delivering leaflets. Never seen him before. Um, he's not, we've never seen each other before. But we all looked, we looked each other in the eye for a moment, smiled and nodded at each other. And then mm. that was it. He went about delivering his, his leaflets and I carried on walking my daughter to school. So there's, you know, there's always time. And I think um, yeah. whether it's a wave across the street or... Or just to say hello, um, you know, it's uh, it's important. Respect for ourselves, for our elders, and for our families mm-hmm. and community, and for the world at large um, is is important. Yeah, very, very true. Very because you don't know what a smile it may change someone's whole day. If yeah. they, especially in these times where people are so isolated and so, I don't know, they're not really. I suppose even allowing themselves to allow that generosity of spirit to shine through. Yes, yes, is right. We're, we're so wrapped up in our in our own issues because life is either so busy, you, you don't have time to do anything, or it's so stressful and you're dealing with the pain and discomfort in your own life. Mm. You, you don't have the ability to kind of come out of that pain and discomfort to see what's happening around you, you're wrapped up in your own in your own problems, and and people are, you know, you see people all the time, you know, walking down the street, and they're looking down at the ground. They're not looking in front of them. They're not looking comfortable and relaxed. They're looking down at the ground, and you know that speaks to what's going on in in their own heads. Maybe they're thinking too much. Maybe they're depressed or low, or they have particular worries, which mm. are keeping their eyes down. <coughs> Excuse me, and um. Yeah, it's just, you know, hopefully hopefully things will change because I think, you know, we can all make that change. We all have to start with ourselves and our families and, um, you know, life probably is only going to get busier um, and more, more stressful, you know, for, for most people. You know, when, when technology started, we were, we were told that all these, um, all these devices we were given were going to save us lots of time. Uh, and we mm-hmm. would have time to go and do the things we really wanted. So it didn't it didn't matter if it was a, a new washing machine. Suddenly, you won't have to wash hands, your, your clothes by hand anymore. You can put them in and go and do something else. Or whether it was a dishwasher or it was a microwave or um, computers and uh, mobile telephones, these, you know, emails, they were all supposed to save us time so that we could go and do other things. But they've just taken more of it. <laughs> it's very you know, true. Yeah. They've overtaken. They've overtaken. You know, the mm. the mobile phone, especially the new smartphones, were supposed to you know because save more time. Because what you can do is you can uh, you can do your emails, you can send your text messages, you can take your your photos uh, all on this one device, and basically it will save you time and effort from having to do it in lots of other places. But what's happened? We all spend all of our time looking at the phone. You know, just uh, you know, people are sat there eating dinner together, not not even talking to each other. You know, they're looking at their own phones, and uh, that's so annoying. I, yeah. I, no one in my household is allowed to do that. 
Um, and I won't even, you in the good old days of when we used to socialize, um, I had one friend in particular and she would actually be in a meal. We were in a beautiful restaurant and she would be on the phone. Mm. And I found that very disrespectful. Yes. Yeah. yeah and it's... it comes back down to respect again, you know, yes. that if we respected each other more, the world would be a completely different place. Yes. Yeah. I think if we had way more respect, way more kindness, way, way more, you know, being gentle with other people. Uh, I, th- I think it's all important, you know, really, really mm-hmm. important. I think one of the things that I've learned, and I think I, I mentioned before, is that, you know, everyone has something that they're dealing with. You know, you, you can be the richest person in the world or, or the poorest person in the world. You know, there's there's usually mm-hmm. an issue, uh, whether you're concerned about your your children, your grandchildren, you're concerned about your health, you're concerned about your money, mm-hmm. um, you're concerned about your business. That You know, we've all got a little something um, that we're, yeah. we're concerned about in ourselves. Um, so, you know, if you've got that, the person next to you has got it, the person you don't like has got it, you know. So, um, you know, if we could all be kinder to ourselves and kinder to other people, uh, it, it, it can go a long way. You know, like yeah. you said, you, you just don't know what that smile to someone could actually mean you know it could mean so much to them and, and you know during this time of the pandemic when people weren't allowed to leave their houses you know uh, there were people for weeks on end or months didn't see anyone else um, at all you know food yeah. was delivered to the house they were too scared to go to the shops they wouldn't go anywhere and people hadn't left their houses especially older people hadn't mm-hmm. left their houses for months or even a year or two I've heard this, uh, a year or so I've heard for some people because mm. you know their children or grandchildren would, would drop something off and you know we need to be kind kind to these people uh, and mm. you know they need to be kind to themselves and we need to be kind to each other it's um it would go a long way because people, we all have our own fears and tensions that we're dealing with. Uh, so, you know, if we could not add to anybody else's, I, th- I see that as a good thing. Absolutely. And we need not to be afraid of showing our true feelings and doing all that we can do to be there for other people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's really important being true to ourselves and uh, is a big part of kind of not living in a... Um, in a world of illusion, if you, if you can be true to yourself and know that you, you lack something or you have too much something mm. or you're doing something that you shouldn't, then you're at least that acknowledgement is one step closer to to resolving or changing that that thing um, that might be affecting you in your life and other people's lives as well. You know, I think uh, unfortunately, I, I don't know what it's like in other countries, but definitely here in the UK, we've seen a lack of um, concern of other people. You know, um, yeah. I remember when we were little, and perhaps you know, you'd you'd stand on, um, let's say, a, a public seat or something like that, one of those chairs that's outside on the on the pavement or out in the park. And you know, of course, mm-hmm. one of the things my mum would do is first there'd be a, a look and a, a, a smack on the back of my legs <laughs> immediately, and she'd tell me off. And one of the things she'd say, you know, other people have to sit on that. What do you think you're doing? You're going to get yeah. dirt on the seat. You know, get off that straight away. Yeah, and then you know. I'd jump off, say sorry, you know, maybe even cry. But then she'd clean that that chair, that seat, you know, and it was a public seat. Um, you know, make sure it was, it was all clean. And then, you know, if there was any rubbish, I'd have to pick it up and put it away because it was concern for other people. 
now, oh, there's, you know, there's not happening. You know, people kind of let their children do things, make things dirty and walk away without cleaning at all mm. because they're, you know, it's somebody else's problem. It's not their problem. And they're not concerned about others. You know, they're not being kind to others. They're not being compassionate uh, about others. Um, and, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. And I guess that all goes back to people having less respect or having less concern for others and, um you know, perhaps being too busy with everything else going on in the world, people have less time for, for other people. But um, I, one of the things I've seen during this pandemic is there, there are definitely groups of people who are being kinder, who are being nicer, yeah. uh, because they've, they've felt what, what this has done to them and to others. Mm. And, mm. They've, you know, that kindness has come out with an awful lot of people. So that's, um, yeah, that's been really nice to see, actually. It's been really good. There are beautiful people. And we are beautiful people, but I think sometimes we forget. And that's one of the main things is that when we forget that we are really a miracle here on earth in these times, because these times here now, although they can be very traumatic, there is this huge potential and this huge portal that's available for us to actually gain infinite wisdom and raise ourselves as human beings in every single way. And I want to ask you, Mir, now you are a Chinese medicine expert, aren't you? Yes, I practice, yep. I've been yes. for over 20 years, yeah. Okay. Now, all these things that you speak about, it's such a high wisdom. Tell us a little bit um, how you decided to get into it and what it's done to your life because I know many people out there have asked me for you to tell us more about Chinese medicine because there's so much in that that can help each of us right now especially when things out there seem not to be working we can return back to the basics. So tell us a little bit yes. why you decided to get into it and what it's done for your life. Okay. Um, well, why... Um, I guess Chinese medicine has always been around. I, I'm of mixed race. Uh, my my father was born in, in India, uh, what was called Bombay. It's called Mumbai now, I think. Um, and then because he, he was uh, a Muslim, his family were Muslim, when... Uh, India was separated uh, or, or separated into Pakistan and India, but it was changed into two countries. His family moved to Karachi because they were Muslim. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so that's uh, where he came from. And my mother, she, she's Filipino. Um, and in the Philippines, uh, kind of, it's, it's an amalgamation of uh, all kinds of different people. When you, when you look at the genealogy of people, uh, mm. they've, uh, uh, they've, come from Taiwan, but then from Malaysia and some China. So it's a real mix. So your average Filipino, you can't say what they look like, but they're often a mix. They, they look very different. Um, mm. So and in Filipino culture, um, there's an awful lot of uh, kind of Chinese influence and Buddhist influence, even though the country itself uh, is a Christian country, largely Catholic. Um, so my mum, and my mother, she brought that influence over with her. So even though, so she was a, a midwife, and when she came to the UK, 
but whenever we got treated by with things, um, if we ever had to see a doctor, then we'd see a doctor, be given antibiotics or whatever it was. But if there was something else that she thought she could treat, she would use a, a Filipino kind of remedy. And it was always a bit odd. And, you know, kind of look at my mom thinking, really, do we have to do that? Does that really work? And, you know, kind of, what, shouldn't we just get some normal medicine? And she'd be like, no, 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 just drink this. It'll be fine. You know, and then you'd get better. And you'd be like, oh, okay. And, you know, I thought uh, this crazy Filipino stuff was a bit crazy, but actually it works really, really well. Yeah. Um, and it happened time and time again, kind of growing up. And, uh, so this influence of kind of having herbs, drinking certain things, pressing certain things, and doing things, rubbing this oil, using massage, it was just what um, I grew up with. And mum would see herbalists and healers and she would um, she would see uh, acupuncturists as well. So it, it was always there. And then uh, when I was a teenager, of course, I was, I was studying the martial arts. Uh, and then uh, after about 10 years of that, I... I wanted more answers. Um, and what happened is that I saw an advert in a, in a magazine for an acupuncture course and I was studying martial arts. I was in a really good job in London. Uh, I was in a corporate job earning way too much money for a 22-year-old. Um, but I, I wasn't happy with that. You know, On paper, it, it looked great. I had a big expenses claim, company car, flying around the country, doing the whole kind of corporate mm. Uh, which sounded great but really it's not what I wanted and I saw this advert and I thought yeah okay that's that's what I'm going to do so I I applied to the college um had an interview I think within within a week and then got the acceptance letter that I was accepted onto the course and then you know a day or two after that I I kind of I accepted said I was going to join and kind of started demoting myself in this corporate job I was in so that I could do could do the work so the the Chinese medicine came after a life of basically having familiarity with herbs and acupuncture and spirituality that was brought over by both my mother and my father from their different places. So mm-hmm. spirituality and herbal medicine were always there, um, as were martial arts from my mum's side of the family. And then uh, through the, the martial arts that I'd been studying, there was a familiarity with it there too because... We'd heard of our uh, master doing all kinds of amazing things, you know, healing people, uh, using energy, using herbs, using acupuncture himself, and How getting wonderful. some amazing results. So, you know, and that that was, for me, that was really inspirational because you could hear mm-hmm. of him kind of doing things and you thought, whoa, that's amazing what he set. Some, he, you know, he was able to set people's bones and put herbs uh, over the herbs over their mm. broken bones and the bones were better within within a few weeks and people were back to doing sports or you know people who'd got run over by you know big vehicles and people thought oh these people are going to die you know he would look after them he would basically okay. use herbs he'd use ac- acupuncture he'd, he'd use body work and massage to get them well and they were fit and strong um, and mm. it, we just heard these stories time and time again so it's really inspirational so when i saw the advert and i applied that was it i um I just thought, to be honest, that I was just going to practice it just to get my martial arts um, yeah. better. But by the end of it, um, I... How long was the course? It was a three-year course. Um, mm-hmm. got turned into a degree, so three-year uh, degree course. I, I was studying it before it became a degree, so I, I don't have the whole degree status thing. Um, and it's, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was very good for just, just the acupuncture, and I studied the herb separately. Mm. Uh, and then I came out of that um, with the 
the third year I, I became somehow became the guy who who specialised in gynaecology and obstetrics and women's health. Uh, I think what happened is I saw one or two women in my clinical year um, mm. uh, purely by chance uh, for for the women's uh, health issues and. And then I got them, I think, quite a lot better. And then people said, oh, people start to say, well, go and see him. He's really good with women's health. And then from there, suddenly I became you know, the guy that everyone came to uh, for that kind of thing, uh, mm. which was basically like my first 10 years of my career was all I did was really women's health. Oh, uh, and then, okay. and then, so I specialised in gynaecology and obstetrics for a long time. Uh, and then the last uh, 10 or so years has been much more varied. Uh, so, yeah, so there's that. But from... For me, in terms of what I gained from uh, Chinese medicine is, mm. I think, I mean, I've, I've gained an awful lot. Obviously, it's given me a career and something interesting to do, very interesting feed. But what it's, do, it's done is given me an insight into a chapter of world history that was absolutely fascinating. It happened to be in China, and there are many mm. other chapters around the world which, of history which are absolutely fascinating, probably even more so. But you've got a snapshot into a place in the world uh, that had amazing technology uh, that was way ahead of its time and that was at its absolute pinnacle of brilliance. And, um, and you know, we all, every part in the world has that time. You know, you can go back to the times when uh, people in Ethiopia were the top uh, scholars of 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 the world or you can go back to uh, times where basically the authorities in the world were basically people in Egypt uh, and mm. then a little bit later you know because all the people from Greece went to study in in, uh, in uh, Egypt didn't they and the people in Egypt they studied in Ethiopia you know so everyone comes back from somewhere else so you know in the West we always talk about how great uh, the Greeks were you know Socrates Aristotle Plato all these people so we can all go back to these times of brilliance. And for me, uh, Chinese medicine had its absolute time of brilliance about 2,000, 2,400 years ago, perhaps even before then, to be honest. Um, that was absolutely brilliant. And so much of it was brilliant. It was the pinnacle of, of study of Chinese medicine, of human anatomy, of astrology, of en energy, of meditation, of martial arts. <clears throat> excuse me, of, of um, energy work, body work. It was just an absolute uh, golden period of of history of that time. Um, so for me, I find that quite fasc fascinating. And uh, for me, it's given, I thought it was going to give me just something interesting to look at um, in yeah. terms of medicine, but it's given me philosophy, it's given me psychology, it's given me uh, astrology, cosmology, it's all there. They had it all there. So uh, that's basically uh, what I look to and, and that's where I get uh, a lot of inspiration from. Because it's something that even, you know, people talk about, even our grandparents and great-grandparents, if you want to find any knowledge, they used to say, then travel to China. Mm. Because it's there really that so there's other places, as you say, different civilizations and so many different secrets in different parts of the world with health and well-being. And as you said, astrology, astronomy. But China seemed to have this, in some ways, edge on a lot of things. And it seems to have carried it through here into this century. And a lot of people asked me about this and wanted you to talk about it, Chinese medicine. 
because of all the things that are going on at the moment, there is still, I think there is still that respect that there are still people within that practice, within the arts of that country that have a very deep knowledge and wisdom about treating people, helping people, healing people. So that's what I'd really like to talk to you about, Mir, is these hidden masters in a way that you've either read about or that you are able to speak about and also your experience with Chinese medicine in helping people. Because I think it's something that really has a lot of weight in gold, as they say, to help people now. Yes, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> the Chinese medicine can definitely help people now. Uh, things have changed an awful lot, but the way Chinese medicine or medicine in China was was organised was absolutely brilliant for for perhaps I'm going to say thousands of years, hmm. and it's um, it stems back thousands of years in the way that was organised for all the way up until around about 1911, <clears throat> excuse me, well, when things changed because basically um, people decided to to modernise and leave the old ways behind. So for the last 100 years, uh, Chinese medicine has changed and even more so since uh, the mid-70s. Um, but before that, um, I'll have to kind of give you a bit of a, a history of, of, of Chinese medicine, but basically awful lot of people say that Chinese medicine started with what's called the Yellow Emperor's Classic, which is dated back to about 2,400 years old. And it's basically a collection of essays, or what was actually bamboo scrolls um, that were written on, um, that were that had been written down uh, 2,400 years ago. So what happened is there were... Um, let me see. So the... Chinese history has a number of kind of dates that go with it. And you had a number of emperors who ruled parts of the land. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had a number of kings that ruled parts of the land. So China itself, the landmass, is bigger than the size of Europe. So it's absolutely huge. So what you would have is someone that rules something, let's say, the size of Italy. And then uh, some other king would rule the something the size oh, of Oh, okay. Yeah. Or, so, so you had five or six or more places that they said, oh, no, we're we belong to this emperor, we belong to this king or whatever. And um, so for for hundreds of years, it was always fighting each other. You know, each king would fight someone else and then one mm. king would want to take over someone else's land. So they would join forces with, with the others to take over the land and then they'd start fighting. So it was just, it was just continual battle and um, kind of mayhem for ages uh, and war. Um, and then uh, one person said, actually, what we need to do is unite. We need we need to unite as one big country, and of course they they faced um, resistance. And people said, "No, I don't think so. That that means I have to give up what I have, so that we become part of you. I want to keep what I have." Um, um, and so there was this, these continual wars. Um, and then uh, the one person who said that they want to keep it all was called the emperor. Uh, I think that time it was Emperor Qin, mm-hmm. uh, and he said, "No, we we should be one." And basically he went around all these different kingdoms and 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 beat them all but then said okay now now that i've beaten you all we are now part of one <coughs> we are part of of china mm. or or what was excuse me or what was called putonghua putong is basically that's the name of china that means uh this the central kingdom 
uh, mm-hmm. the, you know, the central country. They see themselves at the center of the universe or the center of the world. Yeah. Um, and that was basically how they, how we united China. Uh, and so you had this emperor who was based uh, in the north of China, outside of Beijing, uh, that became the capital. And everyone would pay homage to the one emperor. And then what happened is then, as history had been before, is that people would try and take over their emperors all the time. And then every mm. few hundred years, there'd be one line of emperors with one family, and then someone else would take over. They'd come, fight, take over there, and now there's a whole new emperor. Uh, but what they did every time there was a new emperor, or empress, because they were their empress as well, <coughs> excuse me, is that they would, they would get rid of everyone that had anything to do with that previous emperor. So they, they would get rid of their, obviously, all their scholars. They would get rid of anyone that was on their side. Uh, they would get rid of mm-hmm. their history. And they would basically burn things down. They would burn down the scholars, they would, uh, the scholars' libraries. They would kill the scholars. They would exile people, all their politicians. And then history, as far as they were concerned, started with the new emperor or empress. And then that's where things happened. So you had this continual... Ob- taking over every few hundred years mm. but what happened around about 2400 years ago is um there was an absolute pinnacle of chinese thought where, where what they did is they got the best people to write down things this is when uh, before printing presses so they would uh, they would carve things into tortoiseshell into bone and eventually into bamboo uh, before, when they kind of started to, to do writing mm. um and in the early days, people had written these things on medicine and then had given the best stuff to the emperor. The emperor basically, you know, kept a, a really nice library. Um, and then uh, the scrolls would go there. What happened is uh, one emperor was basically uh, overtaken and the new emperor said, okay, uh, okay, what we're going to do is not burn the library down. We're going to close it. So what that is, they closed the library, sealed it, and it remained sealed for about, I think, between one and 200 years. Mm. Um, and then what happened is that they opened it one, 200 years later and found uh, a lot of these medical scrolls and, and all these historical things, which people basically kept from there on. So they didn't get rid of them. They'd kept them. But what, what these scrolls that 200 years previously, which is about 2,400 years ago from now, uh, mm. had written, it was the absolute height of, of Chinese medical thought. Um, and it's... The scrolls are called the Yellow Emperor's Classic, and it's it's written as a conversation. So, the Yellow Emperor uh, would have would ask questions of someone called Chibo, which was mm-hmm. to say, um, Chibo was a, a medicine um, uh, scholar, and uh, the, the Yellow Emperor would say, "So, Chibo, why why is it that people uh, no longer live to one hundred and twenty years old anymore, whereas they did in previous times?" And Chibo would say, well, what it is, uh, your, your excellency, is that people previously would live to up to 120 years old because they would abstain from too much sex. They would abstain from eating too much. They would go to sleep early. They would do exercise. They would, um, they would work hard and not you know, do things that, that depleted them. Mm. Uh, so it was a book of questions and answers. It was a brilliant book of questions and answers. And it what's was, it called again, Mir? It's called the, the Yellow Emperor's Classic. 
Uh-huh. And the, is it available? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get it. Yeah, you can get all kinds uh-huh. of translations. There's the it was called the Huangdi Neijing. Yeah, that's the the Mandarin name for it, or the Yellow Emperor's Classic. Now it's been translated in, into English uh, by a few people, but often what people have done is just taken little bits of it and trace translated just that little bit. Um, and yeah, so they've translated one part of it or another part of it, and a few people have translated the whole thing. But the there's a big problem with translations because mm. you can just look at it and translate it. There's a brilliant translation by someone called Paul Onschuld, who's a German translator, and he's mm-hmm. he's just interested in in Chinese medicine, um, even though he's not a practitioner himself. He just likes translating their texts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are other translations, but the problem is, in order to understand it, you need to be someone who's who understands Chinese medicine and Chinese philosophy at the same time. And that's quite a difficult pursuit. It's kind Mm. of the equivalent of having two or three PhDs and only people with two or three PhDs in this very specialist specialist Mm. area can understand the book Mm. uh, or translate it in the first place. Um, So it's, yeah, it's very, very complex. So uh, some of the deeper things, they were going to all kinds of deeper things and talk about the... Um, the relationship between the stars, the moons, the planets, and health here on Earth, and what Chibor would would do is explain how things, how basically the energy transformed. Oh, this a, is amazing! Yeah, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I know it's, I know it's a, a huge subject. It's a but... huge subject, but basically, it's there's an, it's an awful lot of numerology. It's quite it's quite a deep dense subject but mm. basically what they would talk about is basically the the answer that came from Chibo is just that um things see, that's it. it would changes it would change from the confirmations of six to a number five to a number four to a number three number two to the one um and to people that just sounds like a, a lot of kind of philosophical or craziness but what he's talking mm-hmm. about is how the energies of this what are called the six divisions of the planets and that's basically how planets and, and stars expend energy outside of them themselves, what we would call um, um, cosmological energy, uh, how that mm-hmm. basically comes out uh, and is in space outside of the Earth. But when it hits uh, the atmosphere, uh, the energy would change into what they would call the, the confirmations of the five or the five elements and how that appears on Earth, which is basically... Uh, wood, fire, earth, metal, and water. Um, and so basically the energy exploded uh, and changed and uh, amalgamated into what we see here on earth. And then that would change into uh, the four divisions here on, uh, in, in the human being, uh, basically uh, yin within yang, yang within yang, uh, yang within yin, yin within yin, which is basically the yin-yang uh, symbol. Mm-hmm. how things manifested in, in humans and again it's it's all about how energy transform from transforms from one state to another state uh, and how it manifests and on different dimensions uh for different beings and how we all relate to it so they were given those kind of answers 2400 years ago and written my goodness um and it was all explained very clearly um how how it worked, and they'd already obviously had mapped this all out, probably over the course of thousands of years previous to that, mm. through uh, cosmology and astrology, and it had to be done through 
through generations and generations of observing the stars, about the solstices, uh, about the equinoxes, uh, the the movement of the planets, uh, the 12-year cycles of Jupiter. And that was all kind of mapped and and, uh, kind of talked about in in this book and how it affects our health um, and well-being and how if you uh, basically treat somebody that you have to take all of those into consideration uh, at those different levels uh, in order to treat somebody well. And that a higher practitioner could do could do that, and they would get nine out of ten people better because they were able to see um, how things changed throughout the universe, how six changed to five to four uh, into the human into the human realm. Um, that a medium practitioner would probably get something like eight, uh, eight, seven or eight people out of ten better because they could they could see it, but they couldn't understand it all. Um, you know, whereas a lower level practitioner would get six out of ten people better. They could see it. They they couldn't really understand it, but you know, they did what they could. And the problem is if you if you speak to people who really know what they're talking about and who are really close to being medium or high level practitioners, is that unfortunately most people today aren't even low level practitioners. So mm. we're, you know, there's a this whole effort to try and get people up up to six uh, up to getting six out of ten people better um so yeah so basically they they wrote this imagine uh, this uh, amazing uh kind of set of scrolls detailing all the answers to chinese medicine and how to get people better in relationship to the environment and the world and the universe around them then it basically these scrolls got locked up for 200 years and then um they they found them again but what had happened uh, before they got locked up, is that there were an awful lot of answers to these questions uh, that were anatomical, and it was basically a really, really good book on uh, uh, on medicine and anatomy, as well as cosmology, astrology, and lots of other things. So um, people wanted to know where the meridians came from in Chinese yes. medicine. Explain um, that, me. Um, sure. So, so when you when you look at Chinese medicine or uh, an acupuncture model, you will often see these lines uh, that traverse the body, uh, and they'll be called they're named after different organs in the body. So you will see the heart meridian or the pericardium meridian, the lung meridian, the spleen meridian, the, the bladder meridian, and so on. Uh, there are twelve of them, um, and there are some extra meridians as well. And basically, what we're taught now is that they are lines of energy that traverse mm-hmm. the body. And if uh, if the energy around the body is stuck in any one way, or there's a blockage in any one way, or damage in any one way, then there could be illness in that one part of the body or the whole part of the body. So uh, modern thought is that basically if you unblock these lines of energy that that are diverted or damaged, then basically if you unblock it, then the body's health, healthy again. Uh, and that's basically been let's say the the most popular narrative it's not the only one but it's been the most popular narrative since the the library was open again that's what happened Mm. but what if you look at it closely uh real scholars will look at it especially the the ones uh there was someone i know called dr ed neal who's Mm -hmm. who's a who was a doctor first but then became a very enthusiastic about Chinese medicine and and reading Chinese medicine and he read it and he said actually this is a really really good anatomy book 
And he said, you know, when they're describing what we now call meridians, the lines of energy, what they were actually describing were paths of nerves and blood vessels in a real accurate way, like deadly accurate. He said they were just as accurate as any um, medical book we have today. And in fact, in a lot of times, even more so, they were telling things that we've only just recently discovered. There's um, there's something called the omentum, uh, which was only discovered about a year or two ago, but the Chinese were written about and was written in this book about 2,400 years ago. So it's just, you know, they were deadly accurate in an awful lot of things. Um, That's incredible, Mir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, for example, explain, explain this for me, please, because this I find fascinating. So, for example, the theme of the day, sinuses, hay fever, and things like that. So many people are suffering from it. So if we focus, let's focus on the sinuses, for example. That doesn't necessarily mean that the illness is coming from there, does it? It could be coming from somewhere completely different. This is what I find fascinating. Yes, yes. So if we we look at meridian theory, because there are other other theories too, but if we look at meridian theory, which some people call organ uh, uh, theory because it's named after organs, it's just that if you look at the nose and hay fever, because I, I treat that an awful lot at the moment. So classically, uh, uh, near the nostrils and the side of each nostril is the end of the large intestine channel, or some people call it the colon channel, um, which if you look at the large intestine channel, basically it, it starts kind of on the tip of the index finger uh, and then travels up close to thumb, up your forearm, up the shoulder, uh, past the throat and kind of ends on the side of your, your nose. But the, re- the reason it's called the large intestine channel is because mm. that meridian has a deep connection down through into your large intestine uh, as well. So, ah. that's, so that's why it's called the large intestine channel. Or if you go back to the ancient theory, they would say, oh, actually, there's a blood vessel that comes up, passes through the large intestine, travels up and ends up at the nose, but there's a branch that goes down the arm too. So it's all very real physical anatomy. But the meridian system, if people who believe just in the energetic system will say, oh, no, there's a line of energy that goes up the arm into the nose. So what you can have is basically uh, a disruption of something along that pathway for example, what uh, what so, sort of so let's say so it, let's say that it travels from the tip of the index finger uh, up the forearm, up the shoulder, and up to the throat into the nose. Let's say you hurt your arm and your forearm, or you damage uh, your hand or your shoulder, maybe because you've bumped into something. Then that might mean there's less energy or less blood or oh. fluids going up that pathway. So by the time it gets to your your nose, there's less energy, less fluid, less blood in general, which means that area is going to be more susceptible to illness or disease. And that that goes for any other meridian uh, around the body too, uh, or pathway too. So um, if, if you have an illness on the inside, let's say you've got um, digestive problems and you've always had stomach problems, um, that can manifest as uh, a discoloration or an issue along the stomach pathway on the outside of the body. Mm-hmm. If you get an injury on the outside of the body, that might affect your stomach on the inside too. So it can, it can go both ways. Um, so It's yeah. so interesting because I think we forget sometimes that sometimes whether it be sinuses or a headache or 
whatever, you know, whatever it is, a digestive issue, I think we forget that unless we treat the body as a whole, you can't really, I think modern medicine has absolutely brilliant things about it, but I think the natural way, I, I totally believe this, you know, I live my life by it, but the natural way is to try to strengthen those weak points and to build the bo- the body in a much more robust way. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, Chinese medicine, you know, absolutely excelled at that. But then, you know, so did lots of many other cultures around the world. Mm-hmm. And you would always fix the whole. And it, whether that was fixing the physical body or the mm-hmm. energetic body or the emotional body, that was really important. So it might be that someone was really sad. And then they would manifest with asthma problems or, you know... I was going to ask you that, actually, that a lot of sadness comes from the chest. That's right. Yes, yeah. And you you will see it often manifest as people who are hunched over an awful lot, people who walk with a hunch, um, and that basically the lungs close down. The the lungs is uh, kind of, in Chinese medicine, is, is partly responsible or not responsible, but holds the emotion of sadness. Mm-hmm. So if if you're sad, maybe there's been a, a, a bereavement in the family or sad of an event in your life, in order to protect it or to encompass it, the, the body kind of go, goes over it. Uh, but then that going over it basically impedes its ability to work well. And you have this feedback loop that's, that, that starts and continues. So, you know, people hunch over, but the hunching over creates more um, more sadness. And then the, the sadness creates them to, to hunch more and it goes backwards and forward. And that's how people can be kept in patterns for for years, decades or their whole lifetime. Um, so so the emotions are very much a big part of, of, of Chinese medicine and are, are always considered. Uh, and like I said, that they have, you have to look at the person as, as a whole really um I, one of the great things about western medicine and it is it is absolutely brilliant and and current allopathic medicine is that you can treat individual things really really well you know you can mm. give someone steroids for uh for the eczema that they have in their elbows or you know patch something up but what they will also do is not take into consideration that oh, okay yes they've they've got eczema but you've completely missed out on the fact that hold on, maybe that's showing up in their skin because of something else that's going on inside their body. Maybe there's something that's not quite with their digestion or maybe it's the sadness that they hold in their their lungs that's basically not not working, it's basically not making their digestion work well. And Mm -hmm. then because their digestion's not working well, the food's not being digested and it's coming out as uh, as a reaction on the skin. You know, so that's not taken into consideration in in modern medicine, but in traditional medicines it is, and very much so in Chinese medicine. You know, so when when someone says to me, "Oh, they've got a skin problem," or they're getting headaches, you know, at the same time I've got five other questions going on. It's just like, okay, they've got a headache. Where is it? What part of the head is it? Okay, mm. that part of the head often relates to stress and tension, and that stress and tension comes from the liver. So what's affecting the liver is often anger or frustration. What's what's basically causing the frustration in their life? That's what's going through my head in that split second when someone says they've got a headache. Uh, you you scan them in effect. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you you have to be able to see all those things and ask those leading questions, 
and then kind of find out what's you know what's going on with frustration. So it might be that that all led back to the frustration in their life. Maybe I don't know. They're frustrated that they can't uh, I don't know park their car I don't know outside their house. You know, <laughs> uh, so they're getting these headaches, and then basically. You know, if you sort out the frustration that's going on in their life, then boom, you know, you say, well, actually, why don't you just go and park? Uh, why don't you, I don't know, make a drive on your on your house, and then you can always park your car there. And they're like, oh, I never that's thought of that. That's good advice. Boom, done. <laughs> Suddenly the headaches disappear, they sleep better, they're not angry or frustrated with uh, other people, they're nicer to other people. Boom, you found that one linchpin, that one really key thing. And that's what we're always trying to do with Chinese medicine is find you know, preferably we're trying to find the one key thing that's in there that's causing the issue. Uh, but uh, a lot of the time we're trying, we find things along the pathway uh, and clear the pathway uh, so that the other things are better along the way. And I, I know lots of people that use Chinese medicine. I mean, you know, I can vouch for your expertise because, you know, you're an absolutely fantastic therapist, may I have to say. And one of the things that always is fascinating is that even a word said in the right context can change something within that person. Because when you're reading a person, I know, I know that you've said many things to me, but it's just, it could be just a word and it clicks. And I suddenly think, oh, yes. So Mm -hmm. this art and expertise that you have in this art is really quite amazing because when somebody comes to you, tell us a little bit, when someone comes to you as a patient, what can they expect? Um, so I don't know because I've worked on my own for such a long time. I don't work with groups at the moment, uh, though I'm, that might be changing in the future. Mm. But what they expect is they'll, you know, they'll come with whatever label they have. So they'll say, I've got a headache. You know, often people come in with neck and shoulder problems. That's, that's very common. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or lower back problems. So they'll come in with that. And then I go through very much a kind of a medical questionnaire asking about the medications they're taking, uh, how uh, the pain started, where it come from, where they think it came from, what makes it better and worse, um, and, uh, and what they would like from me. Uh, to do because I need to know what their their goals are for some people they just want to be made comfortable other people they want an absolute cure in you know in two treatments you know Mm -hmm. then I'm I'm very honest and say what I can and can't do Mm. Um, so from the outside and if if patients if I have a a student that's observing though I I tend not to do that anymore uh, but they would they would see that you know you go through the normal standard medical questionnaire uh, an assessment of of the body or the physical part or the emotional issue, and uh, kind of I try and find out what's actually going on. So there's that, but I'll, at the same time, I'm also trying to find out what's really going on underneath. You know, where did it come from? How is it manifesting? Uh, what's the emotional, psychological, or spiritual reasons for it? Um, is it something that's basically karmic that's come down to the family? Is it something mm-hmm. that's basically part of the society? Is it something that they are using as a as a defence mechanism or or some sort of uh, issue to mask something else? Um, is this really what they're here for? Or do they really mm-hmm. want to talk to me about the fact that they are going through fertility issues 
but really they've come with just saying that they've got a bad back. They want me to find out more, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm going through all kinds of things. So we go through that and I think I'm quite, open. well, I, I approach people in different ways or lots of the time I'm quite straightforward. If I think people can handle it, I'll be straightforward and say, is there anything mm-hmm. else you want me to help with? Um, you know, how's, you know, uh, have you how many children have you got? And then they'll say, "Oh, we, no, we haven't got any children. We were thinking of perhaps starting that soon." And then, I'll, then that's that's what they were looking for. They were looking for me to to get closer to that. Then I said, "Oh, really? How have you guys been trying?" And then I'll say, "Oh, actually, we were, yeah, we have been trying for the last three years." And then, "Oh, okay, have you done this? Have you done that?" So I can go into what they really came for, right? Um, because often people will come with one thing, but they really want something else. Um, not all the time, but it does happen a lot. Mm. So, yeah, they they come with that, and that's basically that's basically it. But what I see myself and the space I work in is basically a, is an opportunity for for change. You know, they, people come to me for change, um, and some sometimes realistic, sometimes unrealistic. But they all they all want change and need change. So, what I do is kind of uh, I open up possibilities that's how i see myself i i open up possibilities and hopefully what they do is they they go on their their true path and that they they can continue to basically do what they're supposed to do um because we've created um one the space on which they can make those decisions to go forward uh, on their path and two we remove some of those obstacles uh for them to continue i i can't make people do anything and i'm not supposed to make people mm. do things you know what i'm not supposed to do is take someone's back uh, back pain away and say listen now now you can go and become the basketball player you always wanted to be you know maybe it's 30 years too late you know but now yes. i can't i can't say to them now you should you should go and do that you should go and become the basketball player because you couldn't do it when you were 25 now mm. you should do it that's not what i'm there to do what mm. i do is i take the pain away so that now the realm of possibility comes up and now they're able to do what they want to do, what they feel they should do at this time in their lives. Maybe they want to go back and play basketball, but maybe they want to spend more time with their granddaughter playing on the ground. Or maybe they want to you know, take up a new hobby, whatever. So I have to create a space for change and then they must have the free will to make the change themselves. That's really, really important. And I do that under the radar. Of course, I don't tell people I'm doing that or I don't always tell people. But that's that's what I see my my job as doing, is to create space for change. And then it's up to the person to have the free will to decide where they go with that. It's a very big responsibility also for you because mm-hmm. you are, in a way, you know, taking on their burden, which might be physical, psychological, spiritual, or emotional. And as you said, creating that space. And so in a way, you're really, I suppose, the gatekeeper in some ways, because you are giving them their key that only they can use for their door. You're not actually forcing them to do anything. It's their free will that they arrive literally in your life and at your doorsteps so to speak yes but the next part of it is that you give them back the key to their life yeah. only they can walk on that path 
from there yeah. on. Yeah, well, see, maybe most people don't see that or don't understand that, but that's exactly um, that's exactly the role that I I take, uh, and you know, I've basically that's the responsibility I take uh, for huge. what I do. Yeah, but mm. it's, it's it's important, and it's it's important yeah. for the people who can make it. And not everyone sees, you know, not all practitioners work in that way, and not you know, most practitioners don't see that. But if you you work in a classical way, in a in a spiritual way, that's that's meant to basically free people up of their yeah. of their binds and their chains. Then you you know you let them go which way they want to go. You know it's just like if you're mm. you know you see all these wonderful things on the internet where people have freed an animal. You know whether it's yeah. a net, you know, a fish is caught in a net, or whales caught in a net, or birds caught in a mm. net, or something terrible. You don't then take it to the tree that you wanted to go and live in and say, yes. well, I want you to stay, stay here now so that I can look at you mm. every single day or, or bring that whale to your part of the world. Mm. You free it and it's free. That is it. It yes. makes its own choice after that. And, it's, and that's exactly what I do with Chinese medicine. It's just that we, I, I free people and then they, their ability to do what they choose to is entirely up to them because it's not for me to say that what they do or don't do is... Uh, is what's right for them. There was a brilliant story. One of my teachers uh, was telling on a on a on a Zoom call, um, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know the proper story. It's an old Chinese story, and I'm I'm going to get this very very wrong, but hopefully people will get the gist of it. Mm. And it's just that um, there was uh, someone who basically had had a child, and they uh, they they had a bit of money, and they bought uh, they bought their child uh, a horse. And all the people in the village said, oh, you know, your child is so lucky. You have bought them a horse, a wonderful horse. How lucky they are. Mm. And then basically the child rode the horse and then, the, uh, and then the, basically the child fell off and broke their leg. And then oh, everyone said, yeah. oh, how unlucky this horse was. This, this uh, horse brought much unluck uh, and bad luck to the family and to the child. This is terrible. And obviously the child had a broken had a broken leg, but then basically there was a call up to war. There was a war going on. And basically all the soldiers were calling up children of that age and older to the war. But they saw the child had a broken leg and it would be of no use. And mm. then basically people said, oh, how lucky is that child to have had a broken leg, you know, and mm. not to go to war. You were so lucky to have your child at home. You know, and, and it goes back and forth. Who knows what luck is and isn't, you know, and yes. how it's presented to us, you know, lucky to have a horse, you know, unlucky to have a broken leg. Suddenly having a broken leg is really lucky again. Absolutely. You know, it's, all, it's all it's all perspective. And I think what it's I don't all relative. Want, it's all relative, exactly. And what I don't want to do is kind of like fix someone and say, okay, now you can go and play basketball because that's what you should have done 25 years ago. You know, I can't do that. You know, I don't know what is is there luck and isn't. So what I do is just is free people as best as I can, um, and then they go to do what they do, and that's you know that that's important that they, that they have free will. Because uh, if you look at it karmically, I don't want to be responsibly you know karmically responsible for them. Like I said, I'm just a gatekeeper. You know, I basically I do what I can to unravel as much as I can and give them back their key, and they do with it as they, as they want. You know, that's um, that's how it's done in, in classical Chinese medicine, and that's the um, the burden we behold as people who choose to practice in, in this way is that that's yeah. what we always do this is what we choose to do and this is what we do forever and this is what we work hard to do you know i don't take it lightly uh, and it's what i do um and this is what a few of us do uh, on purpose um so yeah uh, i guess that's just the works way it works and whether we're lucky or unlucky who knows 
Who knows? That, that's a tricky sub- subject, Luck, as I believe destiny as well. And it's one of those things that you, I really have absolutely no clue on luck or on destiny because it's so intricate, so deep and so wide and so deep, you know, beyond what we could ever imagine. So I think we leave that to destiny, I always say, because um, the one who guides the stars and the moon and the planets and created us knows what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. All we can do is be, in effect, mere servants. And people take that connotation negatively, but it's not at all because I think when you're serving people, I remember I was in Central Asia a few years ago and we went in the middle of nowhere in to a healer's place and he was at a tomb and he was, you know, there was still leprosy there and he was healing people. And we had a translator with us and we said to him, you know, what advice? And one of the things he said is always follow your heart. You don't need any advice. It knows the way as long as you follow your heart. And the other thing I said to him was, but sometimes, you know, I feel sad. And the sadness is something that overwhelms. And he said, quite simply, Mir, when you feel sad, put the sadness to the side and go and help someone. Go and do something for someone else in that moment. And it will gently disappear. And it has stood me good stead that whenever I feel sad, I'll go and do something for someone, whatever it may be. Mm. And it takes that focus away from it. And you're actually able to walk through that sadness. It's still there, but you can walk through it as opposed to get drowned in it. Yes. Yes. And what you do is really help people through it, whatever energy they're going through, whatever trials of life that they're going through, you are holding their hand for part of the way until they are strong enough and brave enough and healed enough to get on with their lives, the rest of their lives. Yes, yes, that's it. That's all I do. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing else. And this, you know, if it's a great privilege to be a part of people's journey for the yeah. short amount of time that I see them. Mm-hmm. You know, for some people it's longer, for some people it's shorter. But you know, it's it's an, it's an absolute privilege to be part of it. And it's um, if we can do that, then you know, then it's basically it's been a success. As you know, that's that's how I measure things. Is if I can free people up, um, to be themselves or be on their their path as much as possible, then then I've done well. But also. I realize I can't do that for all people and will often tell people that they need to go and see somebody else or do something else because that's that's part of the responsibility is that if you're not the person that can feed them, then you need to send them on to someone else who can. You know, that's really, really important. That's difficult, um, Mia, to find somebody. What advice would you give for people in their part of the world, wherever they are now, listening to this? What are the signs of a good healer, therapist because there's so many people that claim as you well know and I well know that can do things and people get disappointed um Mm. what are the sort of I don't know the seven sort of golden rules to finding someone to help you especially in Chinese medicine so um 
So there, there are different ways to find people who are good. If we talk about Chinese medicine to, to begin with, then we can relate it to perhaps other people who don't have Chinese medicine near them. But um, I guess this, one of the modern standards is that people uh, seek someone out who's gone to a good u- university or got a good degree or a good PhD. Yeah. That's fine, but we all know people with PhDs who aren't the cleverest people in the world. Yeah. They're not smart. They might be academically good, but you know they, they can't do other things. So th- that piece of paper can be helpful, but it's not, it's not everything. Yeah. Um, in Chinese medicine, um, if you look at where they studied, who they studied with, uh, and the lineages they come from, that can be really helpful because often they will be with someone who's who's really famous uh, and, and regarded as really good, and that's a very good starting point because they might, you know, because often because you're with someone really good, you can become really good as well. That's why you try and mm-hmm. always train with the best people possible, but that's not a guarantee. There are many people who train with famous people who aren't very good, so uh, who aren't very good themselves. So what you do is look at the quality of the people around them. Maybe they've got students and you kind of assess their students and you see mm-hmm. how good their students are. You, you look at the patients that they're, they're treating and how well they're getting and how well they're talking. Um, if they're talking in very real terms, saying, you know, listen, my, I came here first. Uh, and when I first came here, you know, I couldn't really walk properly. My, my foot was disfigured. I couldn't really you know i couldn't go fetch the water i couldn't go upstairs but now you know with their help i can walk better i've uh, i've started to climb upstairs or all, all okay the people around me are, are much happier and you know they're talking this very nice positive very realistic way then that's a really good sign hmm. if people perhaps start talking a bit too uh, they're, they're a bit too kind of guru like and then too much in awe of the person mm-hmm. that's really that's really important to kind of see because it might be oh my gosh this person is absolutely brilliant but you also have to take a step back and say okay is this all basically guru worship or is this all you know is this real are they just saying mm-hmm. things that are basically uh they would aspire to and which would actually be brilliant if it was in real life but really they've all been here for six years and they still can't walk. They still can't go up the stairs and they still, Mm. you know, still not being a productive person, you know, then you've got to think, Hmm, I'm not too sure about this. So you have to look at the reality of the situation. Um, So, so you look at the person where they've studied, uh, what they've studied, uh, the people, their teachers, you look at their students uh, and you look at their patients and you, you know, so you look in above them, you look into the side of them and you look in below them. Um, and then you you look at them in terms of their nature. I mean, there's an awful lot of people who just like being famous. Um, and they you look at you take a step back and you think, oh, this person, you know, they they do help lots of people, and they're famous and they've got a really nice personality. And you think actually that's good enough. And then if that's what you want, then that's great. But if you take a step back, a further step back, you think actually what they do is really good and is really helping this section of people. Mm. I want something different. I want something more than that. Then you have to go elsewhere. You have to look elsewhere and look uh, and perhaps study with someone else or listen to someone else because that person might be brilliant, but maybe they can only take you so far. Just like I can only take people so far and then I'll say, okay, now you need to go and see someone else. And then I send people off to others all the time. So, you know, they, they, need, an, they need to be open uh, and they need honesty. And for me, a big part of it is integrity. 
Um, mm -hmm. You know, my main teacher, Andrew Nugent Head, who has a brilliant lifestyle and is, is a brilliant, brilliant practitioner. He has an awful lot of integrity. And I, I think I spoke to it before that he, before the pandemic, he would travel to China and he would give 10 to 15% of his earnings to all his teachers' families. You know, he's, he traveled to China, hand them the cash, uh, you know, and say, thank you. You know, I couldn't do any of this if it wasn't for for my teacher, your your mm. father who, who taught me this. So this is the money I give you. And he and he will continue to do that. So he has an awful lot of integrity. It's not something he speaks about. And it's something he mentioned to us once ever. Um, and it's just, you know, he's, it's not something he shows off about. He doesn't, you know go onto Instagram and Facebook and tell people how brilliant he is and that he goes to China mm. and gives, he doesn't do that. He, he very quietly just does things. Um, and you know, he, and you kind of hear the stories much later down the line or you don't hear about them at all. So for me, I look for integrity and honesty. For me, that's my biggie. And I, wherever I, that may be, Mir, for example, be, yeah. we have, um, I have listeners that are so far and wide. I was, looking only the other day and they're in New Zealand and Namibia and South Africa and Singapore and maybe they're not healers are sort of a little bit hidden aren't they in oh, yes. places yeah yeah absolutely absolutely there are you know there are many there was um I, I wrote a blog um oh about six months ago I've probably forgotten the most of it but we all know that film um that uh, Ang Lee did around about 20 years ago, uh, Crouching T Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes, yeah. And that's, that's an old, um, you know, that's, that's an old Chinese saying talking about, you know, the, the Crouching Tigers and the Hidden Dragons, the, the people who are absolutely amazing. You know, they, yeah. they, they hide, they keep low, they keep quiet, but they are incredible in their power and their ferocity and mm -hmm. their ability to do things and there are many all over the world wherever you go i mean africa you know all the, all the countries in africa there are they have some amazing amazing medicine and amazing spiritual arts yes um, you know most of which most people don't know about because everything in africa africa is kept quiet uh, mm. we know about some of the things in asia and people know about some of the things in new zealand you know, but they all have a medicine, amazing uh, medicine people, uh, spiritual people. They know about things that, you know, some things I'm not allowed to talk about. I know about what happens in these countries. And, you know, there are amazing things that happen all mm. over this world, you know. So wherever people may be, they don't have to come to, you know, to China, to England or to Chinese medicine. Or have a website. So or have speak. a website or any of that. Mm. You know, they they probably live next door to someone or have had tea with someone who's absolutely incredible. Uh, yeah. You know of people who are absolutely incredible near them already, who can do amazing things, who just kind of remain unknown and never will be known. Um, you know, one of the stories I have of uh, one of the guys I studied with, in, uh, he, he came over from, from Russia. And he mm -hmm. studied with someone for a long, long time, and they they had their falling out, uh, and then he uh, he decided to go and find other Russian masters, uh, you know, who were unknown. And he spent a long time doing this, and he said he found some amazing masters who were just as good, if not better, than the one that he had spent time with. Mm -hmm. But he said they these people didn't want to be found, they didn't want to be known, and yeah. they wanted to keep doing what they did. And these people were just train just a handful of people five six seven people and they would be dedicated they wouldn't ask for money or they'd ask for very little money or need very little because mm. they were pa passing on something that was 
greater than themselves and that they felt that they were of of service to something greater than themselves and yeah. that's there are people like that everywhere you know so it's just um i think what's happened with with chinese medicine and chinese masters is that they've been exposed not all of them or not a lot of it but a lot a lot of the work has become known which is why people like me in in england in modern times can learn about something that's ancient that happened two and a half thousand years ago in china and mm. totally a different part of the world um but yeah there, there are many great people doing many great things everywhere that's very hopeful Mir. that sort of really raises hope and you talking today actually about all of these things and especially the astronomy and things in the cosmos and how we are all um connected in some way to all the planets and things that exist i mean will you come mm. again and talk to us about all of that sure 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 no problem at all no problem it's um they're, they're very deep subjects but it's just i think um the one thing we all have that we all probably know is that we we all come from one we all come from one source you know mm. and we all return to that one source so whichever way we look at it from whichever culture and time we look at it from you know that was the one thing that an awful lot of people understood mm. and i think mm. people understand now so it's just um yeah i'm happy to talk about that that's that's not a problem at all we have so many things and because you have so many different you know strings to your bow as they say and expert in so many fields and the thing is is that people are craving this knowledge now um mm. because whatever modern medicine has to offer and it's brilliant there are side effects that are uncurable sometimes and what the natural path and the natural way offers is things that can be taken that don't offer side effects so, you know, I think it's a case of educating us in what actually the world is about. Because if we look in this small atom of we, our room, our house, our town, it actually, you know, I think, I don't know whether it was William Blake said that you can see the whole world in a grain of sand. Yes. And it's true. So I think we need to have that perception we need to open the way to enlighten ourselves and those around us in that we can manifest so many beautiful things and there's so many knowledges and every answer is within us. Yes, 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 that's right. There was a, I don't know, one of my friends told me, I, I don't know the actual story, but um, there's some, and I'm sure someone would, would know what the actual story is, but they were saying that, you know, uh, when they created all the answers to uh, the universe, but they wanted to hide them from human beings, they thought, where can we hide this? Maybe the highest mountain. Maybe, maybe we should put the answers in the deeper sea. I don't, maybe we should put it out in space. And then someone very, or someone very clever said, no, no, what we need to do is put the answers inside of them. They will never look there. Yes. Uh, so it's just, uh, yeah. It's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> and it's like all the wise sages and masters say, you know, the longest journey is to your heart. <laughs> yes, <yeah. laughs> you yeah. can go to the hemispheres, but to get to your heart, to that throne of knowledge and wisdom and love of the divine the creator is actually in your heart and yet that's the yeah. most difficult and most yeah. you know furthest point <laughs> yeah, absolutely it's incredible yeah. isn't it it matches with your story and i really believe that so 
Yeah, so Beautiful. true. Yeah. Beautiful. We yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've got um, you know, there's there's a whole universe within ourselves. You know, so yeah. you know, if if people don't have the the money, time, inclination to go find people, I've been very fortunate. That's what I've been able to do in this lifetime. Mm. You know, but you know, if you're able to sit with yourself, you know, there's a whole universe inside there that we, you know, that's mm. up for exploration. You know, so it's, uh, you know, we we can find it, or at least uh, at least we can search for it. Absolutely. I mean, to begin with that first step is yes. the most important thing and to keep walking. It doesn't matter yep. how quickly. The point is to keep walking. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Just keep searching, keep searching inside yourself, yeah. searching outside of it and you will, uh, you'll find what you find. It's true. So many universes that we are so unaware out there but how many are there within us that we have (laughs) left undiscovered because we're too busy eating fish and chips (laughs) (laughs) oh dear dear oh thank you so much Mitt really it's so fascinating I feel like I have a lesson of wise wisdom every time (laughs) we speak it's it's absolutely incredible the knowledge that you have and I want to really thank you and of course welcome you back again to come back and share that oh no problem thank you and I must say you know kind of uh, but what's really important is that the any kind of wisdom or anything I have has come from from my teachers and their teachers before them and, and them before them you know and I know it's, a, it's an overused phrase but you know we we stand on the shoulders of giants you know so all I'm able to do is basically put these things together from different brilliant people and tell you what they have told me. So it's just, um, you know, it, it comes from others. Uh, it's come, it's come through time and it's come from different generations and it's come from other places. Um, but it's nice to be able to speak to you about it. Yeah. And hopefully yeah, and uh, you're a vessel, yeah. you're a wonderful vessel. That's all, yeah, and that's all we have to give credit to the person who's the messenger You know, above all, yes, the wisdom, you know, comes from the lineage of all these masters and saints, probably. We don't know. But the fact that you have dedicated your life to being a vessel is quite amazing and quite wonderful. And I thank you for giving your service to mankind, really. No problem. Thank you, Mimi. Before we go, where can people get hold of you? Uh, they can uh, go on to um, either one of my websites. I've got a Chinese medicine website, uh, which is orientaltreatment.com um, mm-hmm. or the the martial arts and qigong uh, website, which is uh, warriorhealers.co.uk. Um, and then, yeah, they can drop messages through there or just find out a, a bit of what I do. I, I think I've got a list of my teachers there too. So they can uh, look into some of the teachers or they can contact me and then I can give them the details that's that's not a problem but um like most things i i try not to put everything up there <laughs> uh, no i don't a, think i think that's probably not even one percent of no, what, no. what there I, is I, yeah I, i'll put up what i think people can handle and uh what i think is officially speaking but, yeah, yeah i'm allowed to put up official stuff and then everything else is um we speak about in a in behind closed doors as and when uh, needed sort of on a need yes. to know basis as my friend always says exactly. to me <laughs> really on a need to know basis that's what it is she always said that to me as we were growing up and I never understood heard it from her parents and I never really understood it until I grew up and then if I've ever grown up and I, I 
I said, oh yes that actually has a lot of sense you know it's very wise actually but um, but also before we go Nip, a couple of lines from you for people today that are listening something to keep them going and to inspire them in these times yes uh, one of the things that I've I've noticed from traveling around the world and I'm sure you have as well maybe is that I I tell people um that people are good everywhere. You know, mm. I, I, I live and work in a small town in the middle of Bedfordshire in England, which can be quite, it can be quite insular. There are people around here who, who've never, who all, let's say, have very rarely left the area. They've lived in this three or four square miles and don't leave the area at all. Uh, and what I, I tell them is that, listen, when you go around the world and you speak to people from other places, it's that we all want the, the same things. You know, we're all, you know, the vast majority of people are good people. You know, people who have children want the same things for the children, whether they are in Palestine, whether <clears> in Israel, whether in Russia or New Zealand, whether in China, Taiwan, UK, USA, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, Brazil. You know, they want the best for their children. Everyone wants their children to go to a good school. They want their children to be safe. They want their children to do well. Everyone wants to go on two holidays a year, maybe three holidays a year. Um, they all want good health. They all want to see their friends. You know, and I think what I found is that, you know, there are so many good people, regardless of where people come from. You know, most people are good in most places, most of the time. And all people uh, want kindness in their lives. And old people can be kind. And I think if we're all kinder, to other people and for all gentler to other people i think that will take an awful lot of the, the stress and tension and fear out of other people's lives and you know like we said earlier you know smile at other people smile to yourself uh, mm. and just be kinder to yourself and i think you'll find that actually we have way more in common with each other than not you know yeah so it's just yeah. uh, we're all the same we're all one you know, let's just uh, let's let's act like it and be kind to each other. It's it's a good thing. It's true. Beautiful advice and something that we can do every single day of our life. And let us stop being afraid yes. so much with people, um, because as you said, we're all in this together. Yes. At this yeah. time, yeah. you know, we're all in this journey of life together. Whether that may have been a thousand, two thousand years ago or now in these times that have the earth has never seen but yeah we're in this on this you know trip called life together absolutely and it's just you know there there were scholars in china two and a half thousand years ago mm. who wrote things who kind of scribbled things down carved things down into stone and bamboo that have basically you know made their way over two and a half thousand years and over thousands of miles to a little town in the middle of bedfordshire where someone who has of no importance is able to help people in in the local area in modern times. It's amazing. We're all, you know, so what we can do now and the kindness and gentleness we show ourselves can travel far and wide and affect people we will never, ever know or never meet. But that's that's what we should do, in my opinion, anyway. It's very humbling, actually. Mm-hmm. It's very humbling when you think about it, that someone all those years ago gave this knowledge and yeah. served the people so that thousands of years later, here we are taking benefit from that knowledge. Yes, yeah, absolutely, for the greater good. Wonderful. I, I, I feel very privileged now, actually. <laughs> I do <laughs> indeed, I really do. I, I think 
my goodness, you know, it is it luck? But I didn't <laughs> say anything. So yeah. I just say it's kismet. It's yes. destiny. Yeah, it's meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Mir, You're as always. And hopefully we will see you soon. Yes. And um, we can share lots of interesting and hopefully life-changing information and wise words to help people, to help all the listeners, to help myself, I have to say. Um, but I wish you a wonderful day. Thank you, Mimi. And you too, and to all your listeners as well. All right, then. Take care. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Near Abbasali, always a delight to hear his wisdom and hopefully put it to some use in our lives. Thank you again for joining me and sharing part of your life in these moments with me and my guests. You are so appreciated. Until next time, take care and lots of love. Thank you for listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life, brought to you by your host, Mimi Novik. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode. For more information about Mimi Novik and her books, music and inspirational work, take a look at her website www.miminovic.co.uk